the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, we've got the one and only Mr. Nick Peck. Well, good evening, Mike. <laughs> Welcome to Blur's Day. June, August 2020. Not even sure what it is. Hi, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Wow. That was that was like a tidal wave of Nick right I know. there. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to do it. It's just, it's just like that. And uh, next we have... Well, welcome back to Mr. Scott Gershon. Scott. (laughs) Wow. My intro seems so boring now. (laughs) And finally, we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. This is show 209, the one and only Rob Arbiter. Hello, everybody. I've actually been looking around for anything that makes noise here. All the effects lying around. Next time, next time. Any, anything that makes noise is just a giant console right behind you. <laughs> when they're uh, yeah. not drinking. Well, like I said, guys, this is uh, show uh, 209. And um, uh, I just want to thank everybody once again for, um, you know, just all the kind words that have come my way because of my father passing away. And let me tell you something about grief. Grief comes in waves. It's, it's, it just doesn't go like this. It's like this, you know, it's, it's like a sine wave. It kind of goes up and down, up and down. And, you know, there's times where I'm like, okay, I got this, I got this. And there's other times where it's just, you know, you know, down and like, you know, last week my father got cremated and that was really tough and the finality of all of it. But I just wanted to say thank you. And, and it's just so weird. And this whole COVID uh, time and this whole time of, of just social distancing and, and to have that happened. And, and it also, you know, it was also really weird as my birthday happened last month too. So it's like, having a birthday and you want to celebrate and you have family come over, but usually, you know, let's go out, let's go to, well, can't go to a restaurant. can't do that. It's just yeah. so weird. It's just, we're in a science fiction movie. I mean, we are in a science fiction movie and, and I don't know, we're trying to figure out how it's going to end. Just so you know that people, our podcast, we were going to do weekly, but, I scrapped that. We're going to go bi-weekly because I don't know how long it's going to be until we can get around the table again. So, you know, we're going to go back to the good old days. We'll go bi-weekly. I mean, we did like 12 shows in a row. And, uh, and I just think it's, it just allows us to have some time and to just see where things are going because the industry is just in a really weird situation. It's just really, really weird. There's some great things that are happening. Scott just finished uh, a series, Mrs. America. And if you go on his, uh, his Facebook page, there's a bunch of articles that are really well written. And the one that I really liked was the post perspective article, Scott, that was really kind of cool. And they did a really great job. And we'll talk about more about that a little bit in the, in the podcast, but it's just really weird times. You have that. And at the same time, you have the whole live sound and the whole um concert you know culture and that whole part of the industry is just dead it's like 2020 they're not even going to try in 2020 and that's not just the artists that's the sound company and that's the booking agents and that's the venues and it's just crazy how it's just gone 
gone, gone. So, you know, it's just really strange times right now. So we're going to go every other week and <laughs> we're just going to hang on for the ride and just see where this, where this all goes, especially wow. in the next couple I months. Did, uh, I did visit the podcasting table earlier uh, <laughs> and, it's high and it's extremely dusty. So. <laughs> One of the, <laughs> you know, we should, you should take a picture of it and we'll just put it in a square. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be there. The table has its own Zoom account that it can use to be with. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The table has its own Zoom account. We'll, we'll put a little Michael going. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello. Uh, hey, but uh, so let's just start in. There's a couple things I want to follow up on, and one of them was what um, our last podcast, uh, 208. Um, Rob started to share his. Uh, his secret formula for backing up his system. And uh, he wanted to add on. What did you want to add to that, Rob? You wanted to... Because we ran out of uh, time at the very end and Nick had brought up a really good point. I was talking about wanting to have all my stuff from all my different ventures, not just music, but everything else, uh, have everything archived and, and accessible. And, you know, I have a zillion terabytes just like everybody does these days. And I like to have everything that I might need to get to to be accessible on a single server, which I repurposed an old 2008 Mac for. Um, And I divide everything up. You can go back and listen to the other show, but basically I divide everything up into backups, libraries, and archives. And backups are things that are basically just a mirror image of of data that I have on my live computers. Libraries are the same thing, except I only have part of it on my live computer. So like all of the photos I've taken in my life would be considered a library, but I don't have every single one of them on my laptop at all times. So a backup is everything that's, that's live in both places. A library is something you can sort of check out part of, like a book out of a library. And then there's archives, which are basically cold storage, offline, things you're not going to need to get to very often, but you want to be able to find them if you ever need them. And I was talking about how I did this right now with a total of uh, uh, three, I'm sorry, four uh, four terabyte drives in in this old Mac and it's working great. And Nick had asked, well, what do you do about the other dozens of terabytes that you need to get to if they're offline? And that's a real concern because it doesn't do any good to have a giant stack of hard drives uh, and not be able to figure out what's on them. And I found a really cool utility called NeoFinder. And it used to be called CD Finder. Now it's called NeoFinder from a, a guy in Germany. And it's like 40 bucks for the basic version. And if you want a fancy network version, it's a hundred and something, but it's an amazing piece of software. And what it basically does is it's kind of like spotlight on the Mac, but you can do a catalog of each of your drives and then you can search those drives, even if they're not online. So you can basically go back and find any bit of media later and it, it'll catalog anything, audio CDs, uh, video oh, DVDs, that's hard right. drives, tapes. It'll do LTO tapes. That uh, is fantastic. It is. And I looked in a million different places to finally find the right one, and I've been using it. And it's great. So I've been just going back to some of these old hard drives, which maybe I only have one or two of because I know I'm never going to go back to Are they using Carbon Clone for uh, cloning? No, I use uh, ChronoSync. So wait, so wait, what's it called? Neo what? Neo Drive? Neo Finder. Neo Finder. will let you catalog. So if you have a million old drives, Mike, that have video assets on them. Yes. This is a way to be able to catalog them all and search them without having to hook any of them up to your machine again. Right here behind me, I've got 12 drives and it's approximately 65 terabytes worth of space, all video. And 
they're backups, but some of them are active. And so every time well, I have how to- How do you back up 65 terabytes? Well, here's what I do. I, I, I am sneakernet. So I, I literally have, all my projects are divided on 12 terabytes. All right. I buy 12 terabyte drives. I'll show you the drives I buy. The- yeah, Amazon's got pretty good deals on 12 terabytes now. Oh, really? Yeah. Right here. This is, uh, I don't even know what the name of this is. This is the, the Dynan Digital. These are 12 terabyte drives, right? It's all, it's all bus powered. It's all, you know, Thunderbolt and, 3. And that's all Thunderbolt 2 and 3? Yes. So I, I have this drive and then I'll have a clone of this drive. So I'll, I'll never have just one drive. Sure. I'll have a clone of this drive. And then I have some, the Lacey, I have a uh, bigger drive, 16 terabyte drives, 16 or yeah, I think it's 16. Anyhow, that I'll put a copy on another copy. So I'll usually have three copies per, for every. So you don't have a raid with raid five or raid six or anything? I, like that? I don't have a raid because I, um, two reasons I budget when I do my projects in the budget, I always put hard drives as part of it. And, and I, I have to, well, prior to COVID, I would fly with these. So I could take these, like if I went to Nashville, like let's say I was working on, you know, something for API and I had to do an edit or I had to go, I would, you know, this is small enough. I can take in my bag with me. So not only I can take this, I can also take a backup if I needed to, depending on, on what the project was. So I could fly with these drives. Now, it makes a little more sense, but still, I, I like, man, I I just, uh, and this comes from my touring days, I never want one critical piece of gear to just knock me out. Like if my raid went down, I didn't want to be like, oh no, you know? So I never want a critical piece of gear to to take me out. And so that means hard drives too. If I lost a hard drive, same with my computer. If I lost my computer, I've got a backup computer. I don't store any critical files on my on my computer. Like So when you can't. when you record when you back up your audio, are you backing up to waves or flack? No, I just everything all my backup is straight across one to one. It's not compressed at all. It's literally, if anything happened, I would be able to unplug this drive and plug it in. Same with my my documents. All go up to the to the iCloud. That's the beautiful thing is you keep your edits, your documents all up on the iCloud, and then should anything happen, like I I can't tell that's you. That's a that's a big. How long did it take you to get everything up on the iCloud though? Well, no, as you like. Your 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 work. You like to say your session. Your session for Pro Tools is tiny. Just yeah, throw it up. It's just the yeah. Edit. It's not the media. The media lives on these drives. The the we edit and all that stuff. But what you want to do is you want to make it so that if any piece of mission critical gear goes down, you can get up fast. And like I said, that's from the touring days. Ask Rob. Rob knows. Like the show had to go on. So so if if there was a keyboard that was that was um, really like critical to a set, I would always have two keyboards and they would be exact. Like, I don't have time to fix it. I just would rather boom, boom, swap it out and go and then fix it later. We, as a matter of fact, when you have mission critical um, technology that you can't do the gig without, you end up using CDs to, <laughs> to run the show <laughs> in Singapore, which basically happened with, you know, we totaled on the, on the podcast. One time the Wayframe went down and instead of having all these amazing, great sounds and everything, Rob had backup CDs and that's basically what we used. It, you know? Anything in a storm, I mean, you do what you got to do. Let me just wrap up with a few. Sure, go uh, ahead. I didn't mean to steal the thunder. Definitely, there. Mike, I thought of you when I found Neo Finder because with all yeah, those- Yeah, that's great. 
Um, Scott, just so you know, what I did in my server, and I misspoke, I actually have four two terabyte drives in this server, not, not fours, because I really only need about eight terabytes online to backup at any given time. And what I did is I have three of them in a stripe array, so they're really fast. Right. Made. And because I have lots of computers that can be attacking those servers at the same time, and I can get to them over the internet. So I, I wanted it to be just really fast and be able to serve other uh, lots of machines. But I then have external drives that get backed up from the raid. So it backs up to a slow, slow poke single drive, but the version I use is off the raid, which is really, really fast. And then for all the backing up, I'm using software called Chronosync, which is from Econ Technologies. I looked at all the latest, greatest. I used to use Synchronize Pro X, which isn't being developed anymore. But Chronosync is amazing. And if you're using it on a server, they have a thing called Chrono Agent, which will actually make the communication between your computers and the server noticeably faster. So you can back up an entire like internal SSD from your MacBook Pro. You can do it in a fraction of the time you would normally do it just by copying files in the Finder. And if your system goes down, because that's actually happened to me a couple of times, would you still use uh, the Apple's, um, uh, uh, you know, the Apple Restore, or, or do you do it off of Chronosync? Like Chronosync can make bootable backups. So what I do now is I always have little SSDs with adapters, just USB 3 adapters, and I plug them into the MacBook Pro, and I have Chronosync make a bootable backup. So it's like Carbon Copy Cloner, but it has a million more features. Wow. I think, Scott, you're talking about Time Machine, and that's really sort yeah, of... Yeah, that's what I saw, I mean, yes. That's like a consumer-level thing. I think when you're talking about production stuff like this, you need, you need hardcore stuff. like and what time, we're time Machine also wastes a lot of space because it keeps so many versions of everything that you're never going to need to go back to. And Chronosync can do that. You can tell it before overwriting a file to back it up, and it can maintain a list of time-dated uh, archives. It's just... It's Nick's right. Time Machine is the consumer easy version. Chronosync, it is a little bit daunting, the user interface, but it is so powerful. And it's, if you use Chrono Agent on your server, it's way faster than any copying on a Mac. You know, have, having said that, though, I will say I Time Machine back up my, my laptop all the time. So I have all my critical files in the cloud. I have all my media backed up across several drives. But daily backup, I'll just go ahead and back up. You know, Time Machine is so easy to use. I'll but you know just, what I found with Time Machine is... I'll just use it. as Get a dedicated drive, and that's all it does. I, we've had two brownouts, and both brownouts um, basically took, took out my, um, my trash can. And it, it just, everything became unstable, so I had to do a restore. Then it didn't, that basically after 10 hours the drive just stopped and it crashed again. Hmm. And I definitely invest in a UPS. I, I did. I've got the UPS on there. The UPS. Not only that, not only do we get a UPS, but we're putting in two power walls for the whole house. Well, that's good. Well, so, I, I don't, I don't know what happened in, in your circumstance, but I know I've had, okay. When you back up the time machine, first of all, it, it backs up your data, your yeah. applications, you know, it'll basically back up, the way you had it. I've used Time Machine in a couple different instances where it really saved my butt. And one Absolutely. of them was, I, one time I updated a piece of software and the updated version of the software just crashed my system. So I went into Time Machine and I re-uploaded because I didn't have the installers. So and I do you have a power drive with it or non-power drive? 
I have a non-powered. I use the Sony's, the Pro Sony um, backup ones. Yeah. Let me see if I. Let me see if it's close enough. And do they make actually a backup drive? Um, it's. You know what? Hold. This is kind of the industry standard. Hold on one second. Let me grab it really quick. We need some grabbing it music to play in the background. So, you know, back up in the back in the day where you used to back everything up until like Sony beta cams and stuff like yeah. that, that would be your backup. Well, now since everything is files, Sony still needed to, you know, uh, figure out a way to back stuff up. And it's these little, these little drives here. I don't know if they, they used to be gray and now these are, these are the black series. I don't know what they're called. I'll have to and are they meant for specific backups or just transfer? They're, they're meant, they're meant for backups. This one has a, USB-C port here, but it also, what's really cool is it has a built-in. Um, what are the, what's it called? The Sony what? It's the Sony, and see, it has a built-in. I don't know. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll find out the model number. While you're looking, there's one other thing that I started doing that I also wanted to pass on because I think it's kind of a cool idea after a lot of research. I'm trying to do three backup copies of everything, which I'll keep in a few different locations. But what I've started doing is buying three of the same size drives to do yes. this, but different brands and models. Interesting. You never know which one is going to last the test of time. Slower drives tend to last longer and have a better chance of working down the road. So I'll buy like a 7200 RPM, a 5900 and a 5400 and maybe two Seagates and a Western Digital. Because the truth is down the road, you don't care which one works. You just want one to work. And if you buy <laughs> Three. There used to be issues with drives like they'd have bad lubricant, you know, and, right. and the lubricant would seize up and you could have three of the same drive and all three of them wouldn't start up. I went through that with Stevie a bunch of times. So the idea of buying different brands, different speeds, different models, different product lines gives you a better chance of these things actually, at least one of them spinning up. And would you never, is there a, like, I would never buy a drive more than X amount of terabytes? No, that's actually not the problem. The, the, the drives that tend to fail uh, are drives that have spun up and down a huge number of times. And the faster the drive is, you know, the faster you go, the faster you burn out. The faster drives. Did you ever shut your servers off or do you keep them on? No, I actually have it. My server now goes to sleep one minute after the last activity and it stays asleep until I need it again. And it spins up within about 10 seconds. And do you? I let it sleep all the time. Sleep or do you let it, do you actually shut it off? No, it's a tower. It sleeps. Okay. But it goes from using about 150 watts to using like, you know, a handful of watts. I'm not sure what it actually uses when it's asleep. But I like the idea of not spinning the drives because sometimes I may not touch that server for a week. Yeah. The idea of a week of wasted rotations, uh, it's better to me to just let it spin up every now and then. Hey, was just, I totally agree, Rob. And Scott, this is the, the model number is the, it's the PSZ dash H C and then I have the two T which is a two terabyte. But right. it's it's kind of like the industry standard for for backups, especially like at the post production places that I worked at and stuff like that. That's what they would that's what they would sell. Um, although having said that, you know, LTO they just did a new algorithm and they're gonna be able to do like twenty was LTO? LTO tape backup. It's oh, okay. Tape backup. They're going to be able to do now like 25 terabytes, 60 terabytes per tape, which is going to actually be the most cost effective way of backing up giant. But drives are pretty lots. cheap these days. It's no longer $1,000 for a drive. It's, you know, no, but, but you couldn't get 25. Go ahead. 
I've done the tape thing. It's just really inconvenient. I mean, if you yeah, so have I. It's just yeah. If stuff you want in truly cold storage, it's totally fine. That, that's that's what it's for. Total cold. It's not you don't you don't want to access your tape because it's tape. Well, here's <laughs> you know? my problem with that. Here is my problem with that. I think that tape would be reasonable for short term backup. You're working on a show, and at the end of the night you know, uh, all of that stuff gets, gets uh, spun up to the LTO and that's fine. The problem with long-term with cold storage is you don't know that 25 years from now, yeah. you're going to have the playback device or software. That yeah, but in 25 it. years, your device won't even work on whatever new device you're working on. Well, the, but, but you should archive a device along with the tapes. That's the whole point. Right, right. But the, but, the, but the thing that I think about that is if you are archiving things on hard drives that have got, you know, a USB port and you're using FAT32 and, and yeah. WAV files, this is getting back to your thing about FLAC, Scott. If you're using the industry standard formats and the industry standard hard drives, the odds are going to be much higher that you're going to be able to retrieve data off of it 25 well, years And essentially, you say that because I just came through, I had many, many, many terabytes in SD2. And I just right. was too lazy to do it. And then I found that SoundMiner 5 and Pro Tools doesn't read SD2. I had to go to SoundMiner 4.5, take a whole and, – and I hate to say it, I had to take everything because I, I didn't know what was what. So I took all, like, 38 terabytes and mirrored it, took days, to another system because I wanted to keep the folder structure. Well, I think if – I think tape is used a lot more than you guys realize. Like, tape is backup of a backup. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's there, but I think you're right – Nick, you're right in the fact that you don't know how long it's going to last. And I think that's the whole science of backing up is to take your pool of data and to move it around to always be um, current because you never sure. want to get left behind, you know? I, I will say, I know a lot of people who've backed up to LTO tape. I don't know anyone who's ever retrieved anything from one. Uh, you know what? I will say <laughs> that... that I have, when I used to work at that post facility I worked at before, when they want you to, uh, you know, hey, you did this five years ago, can you pull up that mix? Well, to be able to go to the tape and to pull it up is one thing. The good thing is, is the newer tape machines don't take nearly as long as they used to. I remember used to like, okay, restore like, you know, four gigabytes and you're like, all right, let's go to lunch, (laughs) you know, And, and they were quick, but it's kind of a pain in the it's a it's a pain in the neck because it's all linear and you have to make sure you know it basically it catalogs it up front and then once you can find it then it has to go if, find you it. know Rob where we get it is it's not even about libraries but projects mm-hmm. so there are projects that we've done and then somebody comes back a couple of years later and says we'd love to see what you did and we need reference because we're doing the blah blah the version two I have that happen too I just go back to drives I just I mean I have. Yeah. I, I was a big proponent of the tape thing for a while, especially once they started. I remember you and I had tapes, the scuzzy tapes. Yeah, what were they called? And Before? we hated them. I mean, they were $100 a tape. Yeah. And we had to buy like 10 of them. I, well, Quantum was the big, is the big uh, you know, name back in the day, the Quantum tapes. Scariest thing in the world, though, and I'll tell you this absolutely happened to me, is when you load a tape up after not loading it for a while and the machine eats your tape. I've had that happen. Okay. That is like, there's, there's, 
it's it's gone. It's eaten. It's just so if you had you know however many terabytes, and at that time, you know they weren't that big. It was maybe four to eight terabytes, which was big at the time. But still, that's a lot to lose. So I think everybody has has the right. You know, everybody's kind of right in this whole thing. You got drives are good. I like Rob's idea and you just got to keep you got to be nimble and you got to know the value and when you put something to sleep just know that okay you can put it to sleep but there's a chance you know it, you'll never be able to get it back but keep so we, everything we, all our servers are trickle charged actually in Montreal yeah. there you go and, just, and, uh, not to interrupt but I just heard a weird little bit of audio uh, are we still yeah, I saw an audio like like a phase thing just happened all still good with our Zoom yeah. call here Everything's good. Yeah, I saw that little weird thing, but it's all good. All right. Well, if you, if everyone listens, you got to put a mask on the computer. <laughs> we'll run the tape. Hey, I'm but gonna... before we leave this, though, I will say the final thing on the backup is look at your system and just double check if any part of that system goes down that you can recover from your computer, from your drives, from any of that, any of those things. And then Figure out a system that'll allow you to get up and running as soon as possible. And that's the main thing is getting up and running as soon as possible. And that goes for your plugins too, you know? There's nothing worse than doing a mix and and then you have to reinstall your plugins and you don't even remember like, what's my account password and what's all this and what's all that, right? In two and a half, in one and a half months, that's happened twice. <laughs> exactly, there you go. And, and yes, UPS, I had a UPS. <laughs> The battery had died. Oh man! And because you know they work for a while and then they stop. Yeah. And you don't know it unless you're looking at it and it's not beeping. So yeah, I yeah, painfully. I know. And that's actually I work a lot on laptops. I don't even have a. I, that's all I work on is laptops. And the the best thing about a laptop is it kind of has its own built-in UPS. You know, because if you lose power, boom, you stop battery and stuff like that. So you're gonna buy one of the big. Uh, new uh, uh mac oh man you missed last week's podcast when we talked about that <laughs> where the where the monitor costs just as much as the uh as the mac itself no but i will tell you uh i know brandon's thinking about it so next time he's on he may have already got his i can see composers because i got a, a lot of composer friends of mine yeah. that have lots of computers and what's interesting is all of them have massive electric bills because oh, they've yeah. got three to four computers going with and yeah, they just yeah. the power draws huge, and a couple of them are starting to buy very very large power Macs, and with twelve cores, and they're doing, you know, three computers just turned into one. This is a topic that I've wanted to talk about for weeks because I completely switched my system over. So I, I don't think we. Have you have a you have a, power, a new power Mac? No 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 no. I switched over from using. Um, multiple computers that right. were using VE Studio Pro uh, to be able to Ethernet, gigabyte Ethernet yep. samples back and forth. I switched it all over to one computer and it works beautifully. But yeah. it's, a, it's a long and detailed topic that, you know, we would need 20 minutes or half an hour for. Let's do it next so, week. Yeah, let's, let's do it next let's week. Let's do it next week uh, or the week after because next week we're going to have a guest. Um, so, but we'll do it because I'm a hardware geek and man, anytime you can, you can put more, more power, uh, you know, under the keyboard, I'm all for it. As a matter of fact, I was looking online and just to feed a little bit into that. And I was thinking about 
upgrading um, a friend of mine's studio that I put together and he has a trash can Mac. And actually right now, if you want to replace the trash can Mac, you could replace that with the new PowerBook that Mac has. It's actually more powerful than the trash can Mac, which for him. But it doesn't have as many cores though. If you've got a 12 core power Mac. Right, right. But to go to to what he's using it for, the cores aren't going to buy him a whole lot. And you can get, what, eight cores, I think. I think with the i9, you get probably just as many cores, I think, with the i9 chip. You have to go to the powerful one. But mm-hmm. it's amazing how prior to the mega, mega power Mac that they have now, there was that whole gap from, what, 2013 to right now, like that whole seven-year gap. Like, that's insane. It's just insane, you know, that it would be that long. So we're, I'd love to come back to that, Nick. We're going to talk all about that because sure. we talk about that little stretch of desert and, and the laptops and, and going PC and all that kind of stuff because that'd be really great. Hey, let's move it on. <laughs> I'm going to bring up a topic and you guys can weigh in if you want, but you, you don't have to. And I'm laughing because I, I gave the guys a little heads up before, but I was talking with a friend of mine and he was all really kind of bummed out because he's working on this project and he goes, Hey Mike, and I'm not going to say any names. He goes, I think I have an enemy in the industry. It's like my first enemy. Like this guy just does not like me. And he's talking bad about me because other people have said that. <laughs> and I'm like, Dude, you're now a seasoned veteran. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, in this industry, somewhere down the line, you're gonna you're gonna tick somebody off, and even through no fault of your own. And I told him the story about back in the day when I was a dialogue supervisor for a small little film company, um, sound company. I worked on this movie, and the director, like, I got promoted to dialogue supervisor because they've fired the dialogue supervisor before me. And it's like, and if you want to ask me how many months I had, (laughs) months I had of experience at that time, (laughs) you know, I was probably, you know, cutting dialogue for good six months. Anyhow, to make a long story short, I went to the stage, we're doing some ADR and he got pissed off at me, but he like remembered my name and was angry at me for the longest time, because years later, a girl that I was working with who was actually uh, one of the assistants worked with the same director. And this director, and thank God he did like low-budget B-movies, still had it in for me. And I don't even know what I did, other than his movie kind of sucked. You know, <laughs> but I never told him that. But it's like, you just never know where you're going to have you're gonna have enemies. And there's a couple different ways you make enemies. There's one like like... Through no fault of your own, you do something, you miss, I don't know, you, you just don't follow along with the, with the program and for some reason maybe didn't give him enough. I don't know. I don't know why it pissed him off. But there's that type of weird little enemy. But then there's also, if you're really good at your job or you're working your way up, there's going to be people that are going to be jealous. And that's another type of, of enemy. Like, there's somebody who's going to come along and just not like you because of your success. It just always, always happens. I've been in situations because I'm a really personal guy and I can get along with clients and then other people maybe aren't as personal and don't get along. And there's a little friction there, you know? So 
all I'm saying is if you have enemies out there or people don't like you, <laughs> that's the industry. <laughs> you know, that's the way. I mean, it happened back when I was touring. There was other crews that couldn't stand our crew and they would sabotage us. It's just, you know, I would love to say people play nice, but they don't always play nice. I don't know. Any of you guys ever made me, you don't have to name names, but ha- <laughs> made me enemies out there anybody or if you don't want to talk about it i understand that too well i've had a lot of time to think about this over (laughs) over the years and yes there have been at least three times that i can think of where i was working with another uh audio person another creative person and there was this friction and it would get worse and worse and worse over time and I was so angry at them each time, and I'll give one specific story, but overall, I was so angry at them at each time. But now that I look back at events that took place 20 years ago, um, none of it matters. And I have no idea what was going on inside of the lives of those people. I have no idea what was going on in their houses or in their heads. And if you can step step back and have a little bit you know if if your self-esteem is screwed on straight um i and you're able to approach those kinds of situations with as much kindness and compassion as you can which is not you know minimizing the fact that you're mad about the fact that somebody else is mistreating you professionally i think that that's a good healthy way for you to be able to to, to move on and to be able to continue to be successful. So I'll give one story, although they're, they're fairly similar. So years ago, I was the audio director of an Activision game studio. And we were working on a music project and I was very excited about it. And I was the one who was really pushing it, right? Being the musician there in, this, in the studio. I was pushing this whole thing and I came up, I was so excited about it that over one weekend, I wrote like an entire storyline for, you know, what this music game could be, right? I wrote like the whole narrative. And then, uh, you know, I came in and I tried to push it on, you know, sort of the rest of the people. And uh, I got quicksand, you know, I got stonewalling. I didn't get what I thought I was going to get, which was, this is brilliant, you genius. Let's continue. Let's keep working on this. Instead, you know, people were, you know, a couple of people were not thrilled. And one of them was the creative director of the studio. And so he and I were sitting in the room trying to work out a project, you know, this whole thing. And I felt like he was bullying me the entire time. And I did not understand why. And I couldn't get it. And it made me so upset. And, you know, as I look back now, later on, it's like, oh, I was stepping on his turf i was stepping in his territory he was the one that wanted to write that story not you know me doing it instead and so if you look at it you know and we finished the game and you know sort of happily ever after but but i mean if you if you look at it from that perspective it allows you if you can take the thirty thousand foot view and look at your own part of it a little bit more dispassionately i think it makes it easier for you to understand why it is that you you know that there are people out there who um who are quote unquote your enemies or people that you don't get along with. And I think if you treat them with respect, you know, hopefully if they're adults, eventually that stuff goes away from them too. You know, Nick, you brought up a great point. There's nothing will get you an enemy faster than breaking protocol, you know, like going above yeah. somebody's head. Like there's, there's ways to do things and there's, there's, 
accepted ways, you know, like, you know, one of Scott's editor wouldn't go straight to the director, you know, it, it just, you just don't do that kind of stuff, you know? And, uh, and like Scott, I don't think you'd go behind, you know, on a creative decision behind a director straight to a producer. It's like, it's a whole team. There's all, there's this, this whole formula of how we all get together. And, and so, yeah, it's interesting though. But you brought up another point too, is after a while, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter, you know, if people, if you like. And sometimes, let's face it, sometimes people do stupid things. I know I've done dumb things where I'm like, man, I just blew that situation. And it just, you just got to, you know, shake it off and, and keep going. But that was back in the day when you had face-to-face. Now through all this whole Zoom thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Rob, Scott, you want to add anything or you just want to keep shut and just have a, a happy little career? <laughs> I have plenty of those stories. Not that I've made a lot of enemies or anything, but uh, I definitely went through a ton of professional jealousy stuff, especially during the peak of the Stevie Wonder days. Oh, yeah, I bet you did. Um, there were so many people who were like angling for my gig. And my gig was really specific. I mean, I was, I was playing keyboards and writing software and producing in the studio. And, you know, I was doing a lot of different things and, and I had a very specific niche and obviously a really, really close relationship with Stevie and his band and the crew and everybody else. But I definitely over the years had a bunch of people who had an eye on some aspect of my gig. We never found anybody. If I found anybody who did all the different things I did for Stevie, I definitely would have wanted to hire them. <laughs> people who wanted some aspect of what I did with him and I used to have to fight those people off a lot. And sometimes it was people who had worked for him in the past who wanted to come back. Sometimes it was just outsiders who were trying to find a way in. And the thing is, we had endless work. If we found talented people, I mean, I helped hire plenty of people to help us. And we put together many crews. But I had people who were angling for my specific job. And I even had one person who I'll keep completely nameless and everything else, but who managed to get to Stevie and tried to convince Stevie that I was stealing from him, uh. that I was using his sounds on other people's productions, uh, like really twisted, dark stuff, which Stevie didn't believe a word of it. And you know, my relationship with Stevie was rock solid within a few yeah. years. So I was never really nervous about that. But that guy put me through some hell, having to like defend myself. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And it was all out of professional jealousy. Uh, all I can say, Rob, is, is I worked with you for a lot of years. And the thing about you, Rob, is that I saw some of the attacks, but you can't replace it. Your skills, all you had to do was sit at the piano and soundtrack and game over. <laughs> it's like none of these guys could, could play Stevie like you could play Stevie. And that no, was... No, trying to do some other aspect. No, I, under, I understand. No, no. Yeah, uh, but it was it got really dark. So you you remember some of that stuff going on? I do remember. I do. I, I'm thinking of one person in particular, but we can talk about it later. But yeah, and, compare some notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but man, all I know is is uh, it, it would have been such a step below, you know. Just so it's like because you were so like you do like 
I don't know anybody else who's as good of a musician as you, but then also could go code the same instruments that Stevie's playing. Like, it's just, you, you just have package. It's very nice of you, but it didn't stop people from, you know, I know. especially in the, back in those days, everybody wanted to get close to Stevie. Yeah, I know. I, and I, that was considered like the brass ring that everybody wanted to get to if you were at all in, you know, music production or R&B. Oh, or yeah. So, yeah, he was there. He, he was the and, and the truth is we brought in plenty of great, creative, talented people. It's not like it was a closed circle. Lots of people came through the Stevie world, but there's a right and a wrong way. And the right way is not to try to kick the guy out who's had the gig for 20 years. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not usually going to work. That's true. Hey, Scott, how about you? You have any, uh, any enemy stories you want to talk about? If not, we're going to, we'll, we'll move on to our gear that we're going to show. I'll say this. Uh, I've been doing this for, you know, four or 500 years already. <laughs> Um, there are landmines everywhere, but here, let me, let me, let me say this as an ancient one. No. Um, but no, here, here's what I do now. I've been doing this a long time. If there's anything that destroys creativity, it's politics and it's, and it's interactions. And when I look back at all the things that kept me up at night, all the things that aggravated me, it's all wasted time, all of it. And for me, you know, look, we don't live forever. And as you get to a point within your career that you want to start picking and choosing how you want to live your life and how you want to react to things. And even with the you know, current climate, whatever your political disposition is, it's easy to get paralyzed. When you work in giant corporations, it's easy to get paralyzed. It's easy to just stop because you're so frustrated, so distracted, and so turned around that you no longer know what's up and down and you don't have a creative bone left in your body because you're exhausted. So I think that at some point, you need to be able to shut the noise off. You need to then prioritize what's important in your life, what's important to the client, what's important to the project. My clients don't hire me to be political. They hired me to come up with a product and in some ways a solace to being able to hide in that project. When, you know, when the virus started, I was 110% in Mrs. America and I, and I knew what was going on, but I was kind of mentally, it was over there and, um, and all the politics and all that stuff. At some point you got to get back into your art. And I think that, the politics, the negativity is all consuming, all growing to the point where it can devour you. So I've learned at this point, just shrug it off, get back into what you do and, and don't think about it and just, you know, move on. Uh, well said, Scott. And Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Gershon. <laughs> uh, basically, oh let me just tell you, what I heard was, man, I have a lot of enemies out there, but I'm just not going to say any stories right now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hey, we're going we're gonna to move on. Go ahead, Rob. Did I interrupt you? Man, that was really well put. No, that was well put, especially everything that's happening today. And there's, you know, there's nothing worse than being in a session. And I know we've all been in this situation where you're with a client and maybe they're an important client and they start talking about politics or religion or something. And it just, especially if they're totally opposite of how you believe and you just got to sit there and you just got to like 
just got to keep going. Just got to like, like Scott said, you get, you can't get caught up in the noise. You got to just do your gig. So Scott, well said, well done. Hey, we're going to move on. Um, and, uh, we're, we're starting to run out of time, but I wanted to get this in. Um, I asked the guys since we're on zoom to bring a piece of gear that was inexpensive and yet priceless to their, to their workflow or priceless to them. And, um, and everybody did. And so we got a couple minutes and let's just open it up. And uh, who wants to go first? Rob, you want to go first? Uh, sure. And you said to come up with something that's inexpensive. So I came up with something yeah. that compared to its competition is really inexpensive. I mean, it's sure. not super inexpensive. It's not like buying a, a pen or something. But, right. And it's interesting that we're on a Zoom call because the thing I chose is a Zoom recorder. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, I am... Because these things are a few hundred bucks. It's so a six hour awesome. recorder. It sounds amazing. I've recorded whole orchestras with this in a pinch, you know, not super high end recordings, but good enough that no one can tell the difference or most people can't tell the difference. Uh, you can use it as an audio interface for the computer. It can mix. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing gadget for an amazing price. And I, I got it kind of on a lark thinking I'm going to find some use for this someday because it's not like I'm out doing field recordings all the time or anything. And I've, I've used it for a zillion things. And I mean, we were recording the podcast on this thing. Absolutely. For a while. It's just, I don't know, for, for a few hundred bucks with all the accessories and the different microphones and stuff it comes with. It's, it's truly amazing. So that was my choice. You want to hear something funny? That was going to be my choice too, because here it is. <laughs> here. But but I but I brought a backup. I go well if Rob does it because I I had an I had a an well, my backup was my thermostat. I, I got. <laughs> <laughs> so I I have a backup. That's hilarious. How about you, Nick? What about you? What did you? Well, what did you? I'm gonna I'm gonna go for super obvious, but my my take is that the most useful tool is the one that you have when you need it. Uh, glasses? Well, that goes without saying. <laughs> that goes without saying. But, you know, I have this one tool that is incredibly useful because it's a guitar tuner. Um, it's a recorder. It allows me to be able to, if I come up with a rhythm or lyrics or anything and I'm driving in the car, I can immediately record what my idea is so it's not gone. And I even use it to talk to Mr. Mike Rodriguez all, t all the time during the week. And it's, it's called my iPhone. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> nothing inexpensive about that, though. <laughs> well, you, can get, you, can get, you can get an Android phone, a cheap yeah, one. And no, it, it no. Well, I, that's, you're 100% correct. That's actually a, a really good one because you're going you're gonna to have that. And whatever app you use is actually part of that. You know what? For the amount of time that we're all on our phones, it actually is really cheap. I mean, what other piece yeah, of technology true. are you on as much? The I would say it's the most centralized device that we, are, that we use all the time. You, you know what, though? I will say, though, that being in COVID lockdown, I'm using it a lot less than my computer. My computer is on all the time between the Zoom calls. I had a tech demo today that I did on Zoom, which was awesome. I, I'm working on this project, and so I wanted to get some technology. And they, they did a whole demo for me on Zoom. So it's, it's weird how it goes back and forth. Like when, when things open up, you know we're going to get back on the phone. You know what I mean? But for right now, it's just weird. It's just weird. I'll, I'll tell you, I am jonesing big time because I had to send one of my MacBook Pros back to Apple, and they've had it for four days now. And it's like sending <laughs> a limb away. I mean, 
I am. <laughs> and I don't know how much longer it's going to be. That it's, I, the service battery thing came on oh. the day before the Apple Care ran out. Oh man! I contacted Apple and I had to send it in because the Apple stores are all closed again. But yeah, uh, you don't realize how much you use these things till you're without them. And I agree. I've been using the computers more than the phone just because. Why not? There's nowhere yeah. to go. Scott, how about you? Did you do you have a little inexpensive I, something you want to show? If I can show this, uh, I got a cable. Is it one of your? It might be better to take my camera. So here's something I've just picked up. It's really cool. Or do you just uh, want to tell us? Because I think I know what it is. Okay, I can say it is my stream deck. Stream deck. Ooh. I can go into look at the. I can change no longer sticky things. I can go in and put all different things, and it changes. RX. So I got RX there. I've got toolkits. I now can automate That's everything. So awesome. And like, oh look, Zoom and Word and Excel. I press the button and I've now been programming my whole Mac to do all of these functions. And then I have it with uh, some software called SoundFlow, which just happens to be for the Mac, but you don't need it. You can do it for many other things. And what I liked about it, I've had X keys and I've had all these things, but X keys, the way this works is you make a little sticky thing and only gets four characters. You hit the button, the thing flies off and you lose the, what it is, and it's only one button per function. This, I've got 32 buttons that can refunction and reprogram themselves all the time. So there you go. That, that's been changing my workflow significantly. And the screen. Each, one, each key has a little screen, right? That's and I can do so images. Cool. So, so cool. you know, absolutely. So by hitting things, I go boom. So if I want to export files and I want to do clip gain on and off, and all these things that I have to mouse, I don't like keystrokes all the time because I got to memorize them. Yeah. And the thing is, for all the keystrokes that I use, I use what I know. I know there's a lot more that I don't know because I don't use it that much. So occasionally, um, I'll do that. And then what SoundFlow did um, is they've now made it where you can do this on an iPad. So you can now have real-time controllers so I can have faders and, and be able to start programming the room. So when you're dealing with, let's say, radium in SoundMiner, I can now start controlling things. That's cool. I can, you know, there's so many things you can control. And uh, it's not MIDI-based. And that's not also nice. So I'm not having to do all that. Sure. You could do. It does have MIDI capabilities. but you know. Yeah. That's you great. Know, I found out about the Stream Deck. A friend of mine uh, contacted me about it to tell me about it because they knew that I've done, you know, a million different control surfaces for Stevie and we've tried every control surface. And they were all excited because it had the little screens where you could change the image on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> to say, you are aware of the whole blind thing, right? Like, <laughs> that has made it to the news, right? Everybody's aware. But I thought that's... that's Meanwhile, sweet. I am probably going to get him one because it is an awesome controller. I mean, even separate from the visual. But even if yeah. you get him the... I mean, 32 is too much, but they have like the very small ones. Which yeah. is three. He can just put his fingers on like four and four. Yeah. And Yeah, I actually think it's a good fit, just not really because of the and they And they start at like 300 bucks for what you yeah. get. It's That it's one was only $400 or yeah. $399. That's yeah. crazy. The most yeah. expensive one. Yeah. Well, uh, I have a piece of gear that is my second choice because Rob took my first choice because let me just tell you the H6 is a 
fantastic interface as well as, uh, you know, I use it on production sound and it's just really handy. Um, and the H8 that they have out, I don't know if you guys have read about that, where it actually has different operating systems for different things. So if you want to mix, you go into the mix iOS, the mix OS, and you want to do field recording, you go into field recording OS. It's pretty cool. And it totally changes the functionality. My second piece of, of gear that's indispensable and literally has traveled every single place I have for the last, you know, four years is this right here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. The Macmillan. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. The yeah. Q-Nexus, it's, it's the, first of all, look how thin this sucker is, right? It's super thin. It's so easy to carry on. It's so easy to fly with. Um, the capabilities of this particular one are amazing. It has CV in, CV out, so you can literally control like your modular system behind you. I mean, it's, it's so amazing. But the main thing is, is it keeps me um, creative out on the road. With that in my laptop, I can write music and I can do stuff where I, I, I'm never jonesing to like, to like create. And, and I've, you take it out on, a, on an airplane, it fits yeah. right on top of your, on the mouse and it's on the touchpad and it works great and they're inexpensive and you can have this one, but they also have another one that doesn't have all the CV stuff. You can hook up a pedal to it. It's, it's really, it's like the best little micro keyboard out there. You got to get used to the weird little surfaces and then you have to set up your velocity because sometimes if you hit it, like this and it's, you know, so you want to set up your velocity curve and all that. But once you set it up and they have all these programming and stuff like that, it's a great, I can't say enough positive things and it's not like I'm sponsored by them, but they just, it's just such a smart little keyboard, you know, and the fact that it's, it has that really nice feel, it's just a really great keyboard and it just has kept me productive throughout all my travels and stuff like that. So there you go. Back when we used to travel, yeah, the, the QNexus is awesome. I have one too. Uh, I use it with my 1010 Music Black Box, which is a little small portable sampler sequencer device. And uh, the two of them work together really, really nicely because they f practically fit in your back pocket. You know, they can yeah. go along with your laptop and it, it's not even, you know, you're not even breaking a sweat. Yeah. So that's like so. back when we could travel. <laughs> I mean, we could yeah. still travel, but I, I don't know. I'm not too anxious to travel. Although I did have a friend who just flew yesterday and she said that it wasn't a problem. He goes, it's a little weird. You have your masks and they don't have any service. They give you a little bag when you, when you, when you show up on the airplane. But once you get past all that, it was pretty much, you know, like flying before, except it's a, there's not nearly the crowd. So I don't know. I guess people are having to travel. But uh, with all the in-state quarantine and all that, I just assume just stay home until everybody gets yeah. it all worked out. Well, hey, listen, uh, we're going to start wrapping this up. Uh, what a fun podcast, man. This is really great, talking about the backing up and all that. Um, I, I do want to encourage people to go to um, posts. What was that name of the uh, – can't believe I forgot. For Scott Gershon's uh, the the article on Mrs. He's right there. Why don't you ask him? Yeah, Scott. What was it? Was Post magazine, <laughs> but it was also Post. What was the other magazine? Uh, so we came out. We we're out in uh, Post magazine. We're into a Post perspective. Post and perspective. Today, and then we just came out today in the Hollywood Reporter. And uh, for anyone who's interested, we're doing a worldwide uh, call on uh, Thursday of next week um, and Perfect. it's all over LinkedIn. 
and we're bringing in some of the actors that I use for the Walla group. And we're going to just talk about what we did, how we did it. So if anybody who's interested in that, that will be live and you can ask questions. Um, and how, so, do, how do we get there? If they want to, where, where is that? Is it on through LinkedIn or Facebook or? No, it's, it's, you have to register. Um, so you go to LinkedIn, if you go to LinkedIn and look up Mrs. America or you look up my name um, with uh, Keyword Studios is hosting it. Okay. Um, then they will be able and you know to do that and, and going to get a little bit of audience. We're going to be broadcasting both in the United States and Europe. That's fantastic. I recommend people do that because, um, you know, I like to brag about our panel members, but Scott did a really great job on this one. And some of the things that he had to do, uh, which we don't have time to talk about, so I'm just going to mention super quick. Like, for instance, coming up with an all-girl Walla group that was at the right age for all of what was happening in history at that time, I thought was really, really interesting. I thought it was really eye-opening on, on how you did all that and, and how it you know, contributed to the sound of the whole thing. So anyway, um, before we go, anybody want to, uh, we know Scott, you've got this uh, next Thursday, which is great. I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely going to sign up for that. Uh, how about you, Rob, Nick, anything you want to wanna plug, you want to talk about? No, I'm going to be sitting by the front door waiting for FedEx to bring back my Mac. You know what I did right before I shipped it in, I made a bootable backup onto a little two terabyte drive that I could then plug into another MacBook Pro and I'm running off that. It's actually, it's as if it never left, but I'll be very happy. That is the coolest ever. How about you, Nick? Uh, a couple of things. First of all, if anyone wants to see the QNexus in action, uh, go look on YouTube. Um, I did a version of the Tangerine Dream Classic Cloudburst Flight with the QNexus and, uh, and the black box. So if you just go look for Under the Big Tree, all one word, and then Cloudburst Flight, uh, you'll find it and you can see, and it was very cool. Um, I am now, <laughs> my, my quarantine hobby, um, trying to finish up some big videos that I did, never had time to do before. And so I'm finishing up what looks like it's going to be an hour-long video on the Buchla music easel. And it's every last knob and switch and examples and showing how it works. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here, I, I shot a hundred insert shots for it. I'm like, oh, I gotta have my head examined. Why am I doing this? But it should be done this week anyway. That's fantastic. If you haven't seen any of Nick's videos, he, <laughs> he like dives into the sucker. I, I don't have that kind of patience, Nick. And more power to you, man. Uh, more power to you. Thank um, you, brother. That's great. Uh, I'm uh, I'm working on a couple couple things. I'm I'm doing some uh, short films for API, which is kind of fun. Um, we've posted the first one, and um, basically just different perspectives. There's a there's, they're they're called API stories, and it's just stories um, about API gear and about people using it. But it's not it's not so salesy. It's just more like stories. People kind of like the stories that we tell in the podcast, and it's actually kind of fun. Where can we find it? Where I want to see that. Where can we find it? It's on API Audio. It's on their. I think it's on their. Well, I know it's on their YouTube, but it's also on their IGTV as well as on their Facebook. So you can kind of check it out. Have they been manufacturing during all this craziness? Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's something that I'm, I'm putting together. I'm doing some research for another show because uh, really quick, I'll just plug it. The state of the industry, actually manufacturers aren't 
nearly as bad off as you would think they are. It's it, And so we don't know if it's just a tidal wave that's just they're going to kind of peak and then the demand's going to go down. But actually during COVID, the demand stayed up there. There's a lot of companies that hit their numbers that yeah. came really close to hitting their numbers. It wasn't as devastating for some of the manufacturers out there as it was for you know some of the venues out there and some of the other stuff. So the, the economic hit was not even across the board, you know? And let's face it, it wasn't even even across the, the manufacturers. Like you got the consoles and if all you did was consoles, then, you know, not too many people are installing giant consoles, but there still are some console installs that are happening. But, you know, if you handle the gear, it, it's, just, it's just weird how it's all played out, you know? Which is good because people are still creating, but the bad part is, is you're creating... Now, where are they going to present this? Like, well, where is this? Where is it going to happen? But I will say this: that that in the in the California area, all the studios since they're down are starting to upgrade all their rooms. Yeah, there are more Atmos rooms being built in because they know the floods coming. Yep, and so we'll talk about that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but we got to hit this under the hour mark, Scott. But um, but yeah, so that's that's another podcast that's going to come down. Is really going to talk, and I'm going to get Bobby involved. And we're going to talk about how the industry has handled this whole shift and what it means for the future. No one's planning on any concerts before 2021 at the earliest. So, oh yeah, wow, that's a big hit. Anyway, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. For myself and all the guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Stay six feet from Andrew, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.